Jesus is not moved by what people were saying. Um, Jesus came down. Philippians chapter two, chapter 2 says he did not consider it a robbery to come down, make himself lower, lower himself, become a man of no reputation. And by doing that, became a man like all of us. He's God wrapped in flesh, 100% man, 100% God. And when he came to this earth, um, you know, you think about that scenario and how uh, discouraging in one, one sense it could be that here you are, the son of the living God, the creator of the universe, and nobody knows who you are, recognize you, or really even cares about what you're doing. Now, obviously, he had multitudes that were moved by what he was doing and moved by his teachings, knew that he was a man of authority and power. But in doing this, he's having a conversation here with his disciples, and they're relating him to everybody except to who he is. I mean, how many times did he say, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father? Uh, I'm not here on my own initiative. I'm here as the Father sent me. And people found this as bogus, or people found this as, uh, you know, he's a crazy person. They even said that. This man's crazy. So he's having this conversation with his disciples, and he says, who do people say that I am? And he's not moved by that. Why? Because he knew his purpose. Knowing your purpose will keep you from being moved by what people see you as or think you are. It's just a little side note that we're opening up with, but I just think it's interesting that if we are solidified in who God has told us we are, and if we are, uh, ha- if we have a firm persuasion in who God has said we are and what we're going to do in this earth as kingdom citizens, then there's nothing that anybody can say about you or uh, tell you that you are or what you've done to move you. None of that can move you. None of that can shake you off of that. Knowing your purpose is the greatest thing that drives your future, um, that drives you into what God has called you to do. Um, God's word says that my people perish for a lack of uh, vision. They're, They're destroyed because they can't see to the future. Your future is what drives you to tomorrow. Your future is what causes you to get up and know that there's a cause within you, there's a movement inside of you, and there's a reason you're on this planet. And if you can't grab purpose or if you can't grab future, then you will be moved by how people see you. Um, If the enemy can take away your vision and take away your future and take away your purpose, then he takes away everything you're here to do. Um, Same thing for this church. This church has always got to have vision. This church has always got to have purpose. Um, I'm not moved by what people say about this church. Not a whole lot of people are saying anything right now anyways. Um, But as we progress in this thing, uh, people will get ideas of who they think we are, what they think we do. But where do we go to know our vision? Where do we go to know our purpose? The Holy Spirit and the Word of God. And so that's what we're doing here today is we're identifying His church. Um, So when people talk to you, this is important for you. I'm not the only one that hears stuff about the church. In fact, you'll probably hear stuff more about this church than I will. You'll end up relaying stuff to me that, you know, because of of where I'm at and what I do, I don't hear as much conversation. Um, I remember before I was actually on pastoral staff, you know, you hear more conversations and, you know, I'm in the workplace and, you know, people want to know about your church or, hey, I heard about your church or, hey, I heard you guys are doing this or whatever, but then once I got on pastoral staff, you, you, be, you, you get into a bubble. That's the risky thing about going on staff is you, you end up in this bubble, and it's all church. And um, I remember there was one time, I think it was just last year, that we went on vacation, and um, it was weird. Not being in the office and not hearing church all the time and what's going on with the church and, and everything that was happening. And... Um, it's different when you're on staff, and that's all you do Monday through Friday. Um, but before that, you know, people want to tell you about your church. People want to tell you about what they think your church does or who they think your church is or 
you know, they, they try to figure you out, and they'll try to tell you. But what do we say about who tells us who we are? Where do we go to know who we are? The Word of God. The world doesn't know who we are. The world didn't know who Jesus was. Remember in John chapter 1, it said that the light was right there among them, and the darkness did not even comprehend it. The darkness had no clue. The darkness didn't see him for who he was. Okay? So here, Jesus is having this conversation with his disciples. His disciples answer back and say, some say you're Elijah. Some say you're John the Baptist come back from the dead. Some say you're, you know, different prophets from the Old Testament. And then he asked them, who do you say that I am? And Peter, of course, steps up, being the bold one in the group. And he says, I believe that you are Jesus Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answers back and says, uh, you didn't figure this out on your own. You didn't use your own head to, to discern this. This was given to you by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is what will show you who you are. And if people are being led by the Spirit, they can help you along that. And the Holy Spirit will bring people alongside your life and reveal to those people, this is who you are, this is what you're going to do, this is what you're called to do. Okay? And we listen to those people. Um, I was just having a conversation with Chuck here earlier about prophecy a little bit. And, you know, if someone's prophesying to you and it doesn't bear witness with your spirit, and if it's not something that God has already started to birth within you or show you, or if it just doesn't line up, what do you do? You throw it out. You know, I'm not going to accept that, you know, someone says, I see that in, in 15 years you're going to have a ministry in California. That doesn't bear witness with me at all. <laughs> That's, you know, this is a two-way street, and you need to be confirming what the Holy Spirit's already showing me. You're not just going to sh- come up to me with brand new information and, I'm going to be moved by that and start looking at places in California to build a church because I know where God's put me. God has, has me here in Valdosta, Georgia. Amen? Um, so, you know, you have to know these things. Um, so Peter is being uh, having this revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. So Jesus responds and says, I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Verse 19, and I will give to you the keys, the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So what is he doing? He's giving authority immediately to the church to act on earth as heaven would act. Okay? And heaven's purpose, heaven's provision, heaven's um, will is taking place in the earth. Remember in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus was with, was with his disciples. They asked him, how do we pray? And so he told them how to pray. And part of that prayer was, thy kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is a real prayer that we're supposed to be praying. This is what Jesus said. So we're supposed to see the earth influenced by heaven. And God has given us that power, but he's given it to specific people, not just anybody. And that people is his church. And so we've looked at that word my. That word my does not simply mean uh, in possession of or belonging to. It means a part of, attached to. Um, And so we've been looking at the body, the body of Christ. Paul related the church to the body. We looked at Romans chapter 12. I'm just giving these to you for reference, Romans chapter 12 and 1 Corinthians chapter 12 specifically, where Paul is talking about the church as a body, one unit made up of many members, many parts. And all of the members, all the different parts are working together to support and uh, establish one cause. They're not all doing their own little thing. Uh, each part has its own fitting. Each part has its own uh part that it's bringing to the body, but it's all for one common cause. My foot's not off trying to do its own thing. Um, My head is not, you know, off by itself and saying, I don't need the rest of the body. Um, I don't have my eyes saying, I wish I could be an ear. Um, All these different things that Paul brought out. It's the entire body working together as one unit for one common cause, working together for the same goal. Okay? 
So we've seen this, and we've been looking at the different workings of the body. First, we saw the head of the body, because if, if a body is not attached to a head, then it is decapitated, and it cannot operate properly. Um, a church that is not attached to the head, we saw that the head was Jesus Christ. A church that is not represented to the, or, uh, attached to the head will not represent the head properly. Uh, you can end up misrepresenting the head. And so we looked at Jesus. We saw that he's a king. We saw that he is uh, a government head, a government fixture. He's not just a religious leader. He's not just someone that came down and showed us a new way to believe and a new way to think. He came and showed us a new way to live and a new government system that we're in place, that we've been placed in. Uh, then we looked at the body and saw that the body is just as much royalty as the head because my head is not the senior pastor of this church and my body is something else. This whole unit right here is in that same position, okay? And where the head goes, the body goes. The head is seated where? The right hand of the Father. Where is the body seated? Right hand of the Father. Uh, so we've, we've taken a look at that and we've shown that connection. And then last week we started to look a little bit at the body's relation to itself. And we looked at one another, and we saw that dissensions, strife, gossip, uh, backbiting, all these different things try to come into the church because the only way the enemy can tear the church down is from the inside out because the word says that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. No weapon formed against us will prosper. So the enemy tries to infiltrate and tries to bring in people that have uh, independent motives and that are trying to either bring people to themselves or just straight bring division and uh, separate the church. This is how the enemy works in the church. Um, so we saw how to guard against that. We saw how uh, in the word Paul warned and said, stay away from these kind of people, these kind of people that try to bring arguments, these, try, these kind of people that try to bring strife. We, we looked at the book of First um, Corinthians. We saw that Pat, Paul had to deal with this specifically in the Corinthian church. Uh, within four to seven years after he left, they were already starting to have some divisions. Some were trying to say, I am of Paul. Some were trying to say, I am of Apollos. Some of Cephas. And he says, look, that's not the key because we're all of Christ. So quit your backbiting and quit your strife and your divisions. Um, so we took a look at that in our relationship with each other because if we're all going to get this done together then we have to work together can we all get along can we all work together amen so that's where we were and today we want to talk about a healthy body a healthy body we're going to talk about a healthy body this is his church this is his church and he said that i will build my church and here in the next few weeks we're going to start to look at uh, we'll turn a corner a little bit and start to look at building the church and what does that look like. And we'll take it from kind of an architect standpoint and, and what it takes to build something and how each things have a proper fitting. Uh, things are made, some things are made to carry more weight than others. Um, and so we're going to start to look at that. But I need to finish out here and possibly next week, depending on where we get today, um, on just identifying the body itself. And we're going to look at a healthy body today. So let's go over to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. You know, when you're sick, um, what is your main concern? What are you focused on? Getting better. Are you much help to anybody else? Are you effective in your jobs? Are you productive at your home? Okay, when you're sick, all your focus is inward, is me. And it should be, because you can't help anybody if you can't help yourself. Okay, period. This is just physically speaking. Um, if you're ailing, you're either battling through those ailments, and it's harder to get a certain job done. I mean, I don't know about y'all, but I'm not cooking much if I'm nauseous. Yeah, that's the last thing you want to do is sit around food and put food together, okay? Um, if your back's hurting, you're not picking stuff up and moving stuff around. You're hardly moving yourself around, okay? So 
uh, an ailing body or a sick body is of no use. And his church is not a sick or ailing body because we are specifically put in this world to affect the world and influence the world. And there's no way that job is getting done if we can only look inward, if we can only look to trying to take care of ourselves. So we have to get better. We have to get healthy. Look at this in Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to start with verse 22. Ephesians 5:22, And this is going to sound like some marriage counseling stuff, but watch what Paul does here as he relates it to the church. Verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Right here, that he might sanctify her and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. That he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. Husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. How many of you are thankful that the Lord cherishes and nourishes his church? Amen. Verse 30, for we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but look what he says here. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. So he just made all these statements, and then he talks about becoming one flesh, and then he says, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. There's that my, there's that a part of, one flesh. Verse 33, nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So here, let's go uh, flash back up to 27, verse 27. And it says that he might present her to himself. He's presenting the church to himself. Jesus is. A glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. Holy and without blemish. He's coming back for a holy church. He's coming back for a church that is living like his body should live, like his church should live. Now, to describe this holy thing, I've got to... I've got to cover a few things here real quick. First off, we need to look at righteousness. Because at salvation, you are made righteous. Righteousness is the position that you are in. Righteousness, you are instantly put into a righteous position. Okay? Holy has to do with the action that comes with the position. Okay? So righteousness is a position And holiness is an action. Righteousness is a position, and holiness is an action. You are made righteous. You are instantly, automatically made righteous, put into a right-standing position with God and his governing authority at salvation. Holiness is our character and our conduct that has to be developed based upon the position of, that we are in based upon the position that God has placed us in he has he has put us in a righteous position this is how he sees us but now holiness is the character and the conduct that comes from being in, in that position with Christ you could put it this way righteousness is how God sees you holiness is how others see you Righteousness is how God sees you. He sees you as righteous. But holiness is the character and the conduct that has to be developed based upon this new position, this new creation that we are. And that is how other people see you. See, it's not good enough in this earth and in this world 
that God see us a certain way and everyone else see us a different way. That's not God's purpose. Again, we are here to answer people's problems. We are here to show the world what heaven looks like. We are the church. We are his body. So God sees us as righteous. But holiness, which is our character and our conduct, has to be developed. Because if not, then we may be righteous on the inside, but now we have character and conduct that is not evident of that and doesn't show people that. And that's what we're going to take a look at today. We're going to take a look at today what the church should look like in the earth because it affects some things. And we're going to see in the word that our lifestyles, although we maybe think we're not hurting anybody and we're not doing anything, uh, if we you know, lose our temper every now and then or if we let a little cuss word slip or you know, if, if we don't treat people right, and that's just not truth. We're actually doing harm. To the gospel. And that's what we're going to look at. So righteousness is a position. Holiness is an action. Righteousness is how God sees you. Holiness is how others see you. We got that? Um, if I lose my temper, I don't become unrighteous. I don't lose my righteous position with Christ. But that's not a holy action. Okay? So it doesn't take me out of how God sees me. Because God still sees me as righteous. He paid a price for that. But now holiness, I need to uh, show myself differently to people that I work with, people that I live with, people that are around me. Okay? So let's look over here in uh, Matthew chapter 5. Because we're going to see here real quick that we're here for influence. We're here for a reason. And in Matthew chapter 5, in verse uh, 13... Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 says, You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the salt of the earth. So right there we see that we have an influence in the world. Let's keep going. Verse 14. You are the light of the world. We've heard these since... Little kids, right? You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So look here. You, both of these impact the earth. Both of these positions influence the earth. Salt of the earth, light. Of the world. Both of those put you in a position of affecting people around you. It doesn't say you are salt for yourself to keep yourself seasoned. It doesn't say that you are the light so you can see where you're going. It says that you are the salt to help season people around you and you are the light so you can help show people the way, those around you. But look what he says here at the end. In verse 16, he says, let your light so shine before men, before men, that they may see your good works. That they may see it. People are watching you. And people are watching the church. That they may see your good works and what? Glorify your Father in heaven. Your Father gets glory. Your king is glorified based upon what you do in the earth. That's amazing. Well, that gives a a little more emphasis. That puts a little more effect on what we're doing here, why we're here, and our influence on other people. So people see us. They see our good works. And we're going to define works. This isn't just, you know, doing good on the outside. I mean, we've I think I've laid out pretty clear that uh, we're not about religion. We're not about just looking good on the outside and have a heart issue on the inside. Okay? It's the heart issue on the inside that should be coming out and revealing the kingdom on the outside. Okay? 
But we see here that your good works glorify, help others glorify the Father. People glorify your king based upon how you treat them. People glorify your king based upon how you respond in certain situations. People will glorify your father based upon how you react to different things, to different scenarios. That there should be a different response. There should be a different action. There should be a different way we talk. Now watch this. With salt and light, this is cool. With salt and light, there is no sound. They make no noise. We make a big emphasis on preaching it and talking it and saying the right thing. Right? I tell people I go to church. But do you look like you go to church? Do you look like you are the church? We can say it. We can talk it. But can we live it? The two things that Jesus says that we're supposed to influence this world with have nothing to do with what we're saying. It's how we are living. It's how we're living. He says good works. They're watching our works. They're watching these things. Okay? So our good works reflect our king and will cause them to glorify our Father in heaven. Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 19. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Can we back up to 18? I need to put 18 up there. I need to start there. Let's back up to 18 if we can. (coughs) We're talking about fruit. So verse 18. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit. Nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Verse 20, therefore by their fruits you will know them. What are fruits? Fruits are the works that we're talking about. These are the works. This is the passage where he goes on to say that not everyone who comes to me saying, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Okay? And where does the fruit come from? We've been covering that a little bit. It comes from what is sown on the inside. So what is sown when nobody's watching comes out when everybody's watching. What is put in when no one's looking is what comes out in front of everybody and is evident to everyone. I may not have known what was planted in that field, but over time, it's going to start to bear something, and fruit will come off of it, and then I will know, oh, that's what they were putting in the ground. Because seeds, you know, I'm not real good with seeds. I don't know what a pumpkin seed looks like, or a watermelon seed, or an apple seed, or, you know, whatever. But if I can't figure it out when it's put in, I can definitely figure it out when it comes up, right? So the fruit is being born, is coming out based upon what I put in. And this is what the church is supposed to be doing. We are the salt of the earth, light of the world. And our good works are what will bring glory to our Father. That's the ultimate result. The ultimate result is bring glory to our king, not to ourselves. That's, what's, that's the difference between religion because religion wants you to do the right thing and say the right thing to bring glory to yourself. But the kingdom wants you to have something on the inside of you that comes out and shows people who your king is and what he's all about, what your father's all about. Okay? So this is what the church is supposed to be doing. Let's look in John chapter 15. Jesus has a little more to say about trees and vines and fruits. So let's take a look at John chapter 15 and verse 1. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. 
by your fruits you will know them. So 15 of verse 1, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Notice here that cutting is taking place in both occasions. It's coming off. You're either getting cut off because you ain't doing nothing, or you're getting cut off so you can do some more. Verse 3, you are already clean because of the word. That clean there is holy. That's that same, that word clean is the same word holy that we saw in Ephesians chapter 5. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. What's he saying? If you're not a part of my church, you will not bear fruit of my church. There's that a part of me. Not a part as in separate, a part as in the same, attached to. That's what he's talking about. Being a part of the vine is being a part of his church. People that do not go to church, do not attend church, are not hooked up in members at a church and actively working in a church, they will not be able to bear fruit in this earth of Jesus. Period. And this covers your motives. This covers our motives for going to church. If we're just going because it's our religious practice for the week, and it covers up everything I did over the past few days, and I feel better about tomorrow, then there is no attachment because you're not abiding in him. Who's Jesus? Jesus is the word. So he's saying, abide in my word. Abide in what I'm saying. This is where you get the word in church. Okay? We are his church, my church, a part of his church. So he says, unless you abide in me, you cannot bear fruit of yourself. There is no branch detached from the body that's bringing fruit. I'll tell you right now, if unfruitful churches, what is a church's fruit? A church's fruit is the product of what's going out. The product of what's being born in the church and going out. That's the fruit of a church. I don't care I don't care how cool your light show is, and I don't care how loud your band is, and I don't care how hot your coffee is, and I don't care how soft your seats are. The product of your church is the content that's being spoken in the message. And is it affecting the people in the church? And causing them to walk out the door and apply the word and then change their city. You know, I mentioned this morning that I, I met with, you know, some pastors this week here in, in this city. You know, and when they do these fellowships, you know, it, 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 we did the same thing in St. Augustine. It always ends up being about unity. Always comes back to we need to unify as, as a church. If we're so much in unity, I'm telling you. Some of these churches would shut their doors and get up under a church that's doing the right thing, okay? But the, the most unity that I can get in is around the word. And if we can't unify on the word, there's no you believe what you want to believe and I believe what I want to believe. I, I, don't, I can't join up with that. It's not a common cause anymore, okay? And so with these churches... You know, I'm not saying we do everything perfect. I'm not saying we're the only church, but I am saying that this church endeavors to find out what the Word says about his church and preaches the full counsel of the Word. There's nothing we leave out, and we are empowering people to go into their workplaces and do something different and cause people to change out there. I'm not the only one that can bring change. I just bring the Word. I'm in my fit as God has called me. To be in this city and in this church, to bring the word and to lead people. 
I'm not trying to get a bunch of followers. I'm trying to develop you to go and change your world. And if I can start by changing, uh, seeing the word change inside of you, and if I can start by seeing the word change inside your family, and make you a better spouse, make you a better parent, make you a better mother, father, daughter, brother, sister, we can start there and then go into being a better employee and a better employer and a better citizen in the city. I mean, that's where it starts. That's where the influence starts. But it starts by being attached to the vine. You will not bear fruit outside of this church. So that's on an individual level. People that are not attached to a church, not attached to a body, they will not bear fruit. We know this in our own physical bodies. If you cut off a part of my body, it's going to die. Why? It's not receiving the nourishment and the cherishing from the head. We just saw that over in Ephesians. That the head nourishes and cherishes the body. Okay? Cut off my arm, it's going to die. There's no life source running to it. But then this also goes to the church level. And a church, a unit, a body that is not hooked up with the body, with the head, they will not bear fruit. And the fruitfulness of church is not... In all the showy things. That doesn't tell me you have a fruitful church. The numbers in your church do not tell me you're a fruitful church. It's the people that are going out and doing and applying the word. It's the product. The product of what's being spoken. And the content has everything to do with the product. And too many people have left the message and put more emphasis on the method. We put more infinite, more emphasis on how we preach the word. And how we bring the word. And what's the coolest way. And how many TV screens can we get. And, and doing all this stuff rather than focusing on the content. We'll do some cool stuff. I've got some plans here right now that I want to do in here. And, and different things that we want to do. But it will never go at the cost of changing the message never no matter what we do the message will remain the same and one thing that we will do one thing that I will do as your pastor is establish non-negotiables what are some things that I'm just not willing to budge on and move on I, you know I don't look at other churches and try to get other ideas there are there are ministries that um, you know I pull from and that I've seen things happen and stuff like that, but the number one place I go to figure out what we do in this church is the Holy Spirit. And I don't care what they're doing down the street, and I don't care what they're doing in Oklahoma or Texas or New York or California. If the Holy Spirit didn't say, do it here, then I'm not doing it. Period. And too many people, I I mean, I know of pastors, large ministries, that have flown their pastors to other churches to go and get ideas. I'm just, you know, I'm not into that. I'm actually attending a conference in um, in March, I think it is, for a church out in Oklahoma that they, they do that sort of thing. They give pastors and churches, um, you know, ideas that they can use in their church. But I already know I'm going into it probably spitting out half the stuff that I see. Um, and none of it moves me until the Holy Spirit says, yeah, I think that would be a good idea. I mean, we're listening to the Holy Spirit on everything. I mean, I'm looking for billboards in this town, and I'm listening to the Holy Spirit. Because he knows where people are going to see and what what the right people are going to see. I don't want to just everybody see. I want to know where are the people that God wants in this church, and where are they driving by and being able to see this thing, the exposure. That's what I want. And you know what? In the... God's all about making the natural look stupid. And on the outside, people may say, really? You're going to put one there? You sure people are going to see that? If the, Holy Spirit, if the Holy Spirit told me to put it there, we're putting it there. You know why? Because there may be one person that sees it that comes in that ends up bringing a ton of You don't know. You don't know. 
I do things by the Spirit. I don't do things on a whim. I don't do things because someone else is doing it. We do things led by the Spirit. Okay? So he's looking for a church that is attached to his vine. He says, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. Verse 5. I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. What is that? The works that glorify the Father that we just saw in Matthew 5. For without me, you can do nothing. I mean, he just goes ahead and makes a plain. Look, if you're not attached to me, and you're not a part of me, and you're not in my church, you're not doing jack. You ain't doing nothing. Verse 6, if anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it will be done for you. Look what he says here in verse 8. By this, my Father is glorified. By what? That you bear much fruit. That's how you glorify the Father. A church is glorifying the Father, is lifting up the Father, is exalting the Father, is showing people the King of kings and the Lord of lords by bearing much fruit. How do you bear fruit? By getting and attaching yourself to his body, to the vine. Are we seeing how all this is connecting? Is this making sense? Bearing fruit glorifies the Father. Period. So we need to get hooked up. We need to get attached. Okay? And what is that fruit? That fruit is the holiness. That fruit is the holiness, the action that should be following our position. Okay? So we are righteous. We've been made righteous. But now we need to become holy. Righteous is what you are. Holy is what you become. Righteous is immediate, instantaneous. Holy is a process, has to be worked, has to be produced, just like fruit. Okay? I put a seed in the ground, that's instantaneous. The seed is there. The process is it becoming fruitful. A seed is a seed. It's already there. But now we need to become fruitful. It has to be worked. It has to be produced. So we've already said that holiness has to deal with our conduct. Holiness has to deal with our character. And so there is a lot that the Word says about our character and about our conduct. Let's look in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. We're dealing with our conduct. The body can be defiled. Defiled means to pollute or to make dirty. The body can be defiled. And now I'm talking about the church. Talking about his church. And it only takes one member or one part to bring that in and defile the body. Being defiled makes you dirty. Being defiled uh, pollutes you. Being defiled makes you weak. And what happens is, is when you have a church that is defiled, your influence is taken away. We just said that when you're sick, physically speaking, when there's a part of you, your whole body may not even be sick. But if a part of you is sick, it causes the whole body to have to look inward and take care of issues on the inside instead of going out and making influence outside. And we're, you know, we're dealing with stuff here up front. I'm not, you don't see me doing a whole lot uh, in town, doing a whole, setting up a whole lot of outreach. Why? I'm trying to strengthen the body. You know, an athlete doesn't just jump onto a baseball field or a football field or a wrestling mat or a soccer field or a hockey, ice skate. I mean, whatever sport it is, they don't just jump out and say, all right, coach, I'm ready. What are they doing? They're preparing themselves on the Inside, when no one's watching, Monday through Friday, hitting the gym, Monday through Friday, working on exercises and routines, preparing themselves. 
Much preparation is required. And that's what the body has to do. We're working on the inside so we can strengthen us to go on the outside. Okay? So that's what we're doing. Because, uh, you know, we have to, we've got to become stronger here. And I've got to give you the word here. Because uh, we have to develop character. We have to develop conduct. We have to uh, develop moral standards and, and become effective. you got to know truth. It's the truth that sets people free. So we have to get to a certain place ourselves before we can try to help someone else. Okay? So that's what we're doing. In Ephesians chapter 4, this is a popular uh, reference, especially when discussing the body. <coughs> Ephesians chapter 4, and we're going to start with verse 13. Verse 13 says, Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man. That word perfect means mature. To a perfect mature man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. So this is what the body is supposed to look like. That's what he's identifying here. He's identifying what is the body supposed to look We're supposed to be perfect, mature. We're supposed to be the stature of the fullness of Christ. We're supposed to look like Christ in the earth. We're supposed to grow up spiritually into Christ, who is the head. That we won't be children. That we won't be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. That we'll be able to discern sound doctrine. Okay? He's laying all these out. And then look what he says here in verse 17. He starts talking about conduct. This I say, therefore... And testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. Verse 20, but you have not so learned Christ. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. Verse 22, that you put off. Everyone say, put off. That you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And that you put on the new man. Everyone say, put on. That you put on the new man, which was created according to God, in true righteousness and holiness. So he's saying here that you now have had a new character, a new conduct developed within you. You've been made righteous, and you should have a holy lifestyle that is coming out of that. That your righteousness should determine your holiness. That your position in Christ should determine your action and your lifestyle and how you live and how people see you. He's saying how I see you is how people should see you. So no longer walk. What does he say to do? He says to put off and to put on. Put off the old man. Put off the former way of living and put on the new man, the new creation, the new character, the new lifestyle. This is how the fruit comes out. This is how the fruit comes out, okay? <clears throat> Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. We're going to start with verse 1. We're talking about our conduct. We're talking about our character. We're talking about the holy church, the spotless church. We're talking about a healthy body. There are some things that we have to get rid of, and there are some things that we have to put in. Remember, I've said it before that for you to put something new in, you have to get rid of old stuff. We have to do this with our thinking. We have to do this in our spirits. 
We have to do this with our minds. We have to put away old things. Look, there are some relationships that as you grow in Christ, you'll just find yourself having to put away, having to cut off. That's one of the hardest things to prune. It's easy to, to, everyone wants to get rid of the addictions that are holding them back. Everyone wants to, I mean, you know, if you had a smoking habit, you want to get rid of that. If you had a drinking habit, you want to get rid of that. If you had a, a, you know, wrong relationship with women habit, you want to get rid of I mean, those things you want to get rid of. But the, one of the things that's the hardest to get rid of is relationships. Because you, you, you almost think that you can influence those people. And you almost feel like, I need to hang on to this relationship because I can change them. But relationships is one of the strongest things that holds people back. The Word has a lot to say uh, about your lifestyle being determined by your company. And a lot of people find themselves having a hard time getting out of stuff because they have a hard time getting out of relationships. And you'll find that you'll have a lifestyle get ripped away from you if you can rip yourself away from the company that's keeping you in that lifestyle. The company that you keep around you has a lot to say about your character and your conduct. And the Bible has a lot to say about that. You want to get yourself out of that company. Okay? But this is what we're talking about. We're talking about the conduct of the body of Christ. (coughs) Because we're supposed to be effective in this earth for his kingdom. So Colossians chapter 3 and verse 1. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above. Notice this, that you are raised with Christ. But there's still a seeking that needs to take place. If you were raised with Christ, then seek those things which are above. Where Christ is. Sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind. Who's doing the setting? We are. You set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Verse 5. Therefore put to death your members which are on the earth. And he names some, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, covetousness, idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. So now he's saying, put to death. Put those things down. We already saw put off. Now put to death. Verse 8. But now you yourselves are to, here it is, put off. All these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all. And in all. So here again, we're dealing with conduct. We're dealing with character. We're dealing with actions. Holiness is the action that follows the position of being righteous. And if we are in a righteous position, we ought to have holy action. But we just saw here that you can be raised with Christ but still seek things of the earth. You can actually be seated with Christ in heavenly places and still have your mind on things on the earth. This is why we've been talking about mind renewal. This is why we've been talking about renewing our minds and setting our minds. Because you have control over that. This isn't a, I'm in a righteous position, I'm seated at the right hand of the Father, so now I'll automatically think good thoughts and do good things. Why is he talking about the mind? Because out of the mind determines what we're doing. The whole reason we're talking about mind renewal is so we can get a lifestyle to fall in line with the kingdom. That's the whole reason. I'm not talking about mind renewal so we can just think happy little thoughts and, you know, be at peace in our minds. And No, it's to get actions to follow that. 
And it's determined by what you set your mind on. And so he says again, put off the old man, put on the new man. Why? Because the new man carries with it the character of the new creation, carries with it the conduct of the new creation. And we find ourselves putting away the old man. And with the old man, if we kill the old man, we kill anger, we kill malice, we kill fornication, we kill uncleanness, we kill all the immoral activity, we kill all, all the things that the mind of the old man wants to set itself on. And we begin to see holiness come out. He's coming back for a holy church. He's coming back for a spotless church. Now look at this. Let's look further. Because we talked about a sick body not having any influence on the world. And it's actually an improper statement because you have influence either way. Let's look at this. 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Chapter 6 and verse 1 says, Let as many bondservants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and his doctrine may not be blasphemed. Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. Your conduct will cause people around you to develop a picture of your God. We already said that your works and your fruit, your good works and bearing good fruit, will glorify your Father. But bad works and bad fruit will also cause them to get a picture of your God. You've got to understand that everything you do... Now that you have come into the kingdom of God and people know that you're a believer and people ought to know, there shouldn't be any guessing game. They need to know that you're a believer. And again, we said we don't even have to open our mouth. If we're the salt of the earth and light of the world, none of that has anything to do with saying anything. So people need to know. But now that people know our conduct needs to fall in line because the church is actually influencing the world. But are we influencing them for good or are we influencing them for bad? Titus chapter 2 and verse 1. But as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine, that the older men be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love, in patience, the older women, likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things. Why? That they ad, or will continue that they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands. Why? That the word of God may not be blasphemed. Well, we just saw that that your conduct and your character and how people see you can cause people to blaspheme the word of God. Now, what does that word blaspheme mean? Blaspheme means to speak evil of. To blaspheme the word of God, it means to speak evil of. It means to dishonor. It means to speak evil of or to dishonor. It also means to disrespect. So, what's happening? Bad character and bearing bad fruit... From the church causes the world, unbelievers, to disrespect your God. So, so far we've seen that good works and good character, good fruit, causes people to glorify your king. Bad fruit, bad works, bad conduct causes people to blaspheme your king. Causes them to disrespect and dishonor the word of God and your king. No matter what you're doing, you're painting a picture of your God. Okay? This is the influence we have on the world. Let's go on. Verse 6. Likewise, exhort the young men to be sober-minded in all things, showing yourself to be a pattern of good works. In doctrine, showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility, 
sound speech that cannot be condemned. Look at this. That one who is an opponent may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say of you. People should have nothing bad to say of you because the fruit that you bear is good works, good fruit. You're doing the right thing at the right time because the kingdom of God is within you and because you are attached to his vine. Verse 9, exhort bondservants to be obedient to their own masters, to be well-pleasing in all things, not answering back, not pilfering, but showing all good fidelity. Why? That they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior. That they will actually exalt the word. Unbelievers will actually find, uh, find themselves exalting the word. This is the influence that we can have. But it can go one or the other. And either way, you're painting a picture of your God. Now, here's what we need to understand. Because back here we saw in verse 6... Verse 7, in all things showing yourself to be a pattern of good works. Understand this, that our lives, you are a product of what you do habitually. Habitually, not occasionally. It's what you pattern yourself to do. It's what you practice yourself to do. And one becomes unholy when they practice lawlessness or they practice a sinful lifestyle. What is that? To simply do something repeatedly with no shame and no no care. That's what that means to practice or to pattern yourself after that. But we should make ourselves uh, practicers of holiness, practicers of the word. Practicers of fruits of the Spirit. It was, uh, I think, last month, maybe a little over a month ago, I did a message uh, that basically showed the fruits of the Spirit versus the gifts of the Spirit. And how do you determine if someone's really spiritual? And how do you determine if someone's really following after God? And it's because of the fruit. Because there will be those that will, I prophesied in your name, I cast out devils. I did many signs and wonders. Miracles follow me. And he's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. Well, then how in the world are we supposed to know who's following God and who's not? And he said, that's not how you know them. You don't know them by if they can talk the right talk and do the right thing at the right time, even prophesy. You know why those things still happen through people that may not be following after God? Because God cares about the people that are on the receiving end of it. God cares about the person that's receiving the miracle. Even though the person that is that he's using may not be fully living for him. Oh wow, he, he healed that guy. He must be... No. No. Not if love's not evident. Not if joy's not evident. Not if he's not a faithful person. Not if he has no self-control. And again, you are a product of what you do habitually. So just because you lose your temper once doesn't mean that you're all of a sudden unholy. Holiness is based upon a practiced lifestyle. Do you long and seek to follow after God? Do you long and seek to be a part of his church? Do you long and seek to have those things evident in your life? And when you occasionally mess up, what do we do? You ask God to forgive you. He's faithful and just to forgive you, cleanse you from all unrighteousness, and put you right back in that position. And then we continue to develop in the character. Okay? But practicing is when you are, you have things in your life that you're not willing to let go. You have things in your life that, well, I want to do all these things right, but I can't seem to get this thing right. And so it's all areas. But holiness has to do with the conduct. Holiness has to do with the character. And that's what determines the fruit we bear. That's where it comes from. We're all in a position of righteousness. We're all in a position of being seated at the right hand of the Father. Now look at this. Bad conduct weakens our message and our ability to win the lost. You notice here that they're blaspheming God. 
They're blaspheming the word. They're dishonoring, discrediting, disrespecting God's word and our king based upon how we act. You think you're going to win, any, win, it, win the loss to Jesus that way? No. What are they looking for? They're looking, how is the word changing you? And not just, were you healed? Was your marriage restored? I mean, they're looking for, is your lifestyle really different? Because how many, how, many, how many times have we heard where sinners say, why do I want to be a Christian? Why do I want to go to church? They're doing the same thing I'm doing. And I'm having fun because I don't have the guilt and the condemnation, right? I don't have to live with all the conviction. I just go and have fun and do my thing. So this is what the church is doing in the earth. This is the effect that we have. This is the influence that we have for the kingdom. And our conduct has everything to do with it. We've been made righteous. We've been positioned with him. We've been seated with Christ. Amen. But those things don't change our lifestyle because you can be seated with Christ and still set your mind on things on the earth. You can be seated with Christ. What have we been saying on Wednesday nights in mind renewal? Your flesh always will oppose the kingdom of God. Your flesh will always be against, forcefully against, what your spirit wants. Your spirit's all about the kingdom. Your spirit on the inside is so clued in on the kingdom of God and what God wants you to do and your purpose in the earth. He's there. But because of an unrenewed mind, because we're not setting our minds to what the word says and what our spirit wants done, the flesh is overcoming, the flesh is winning. Because we set our minds there. So this good conduct, this good fruit has to come out. That is how the Father is glorified. That is how your king is revealed. It's through the church. The church is the picture of our Father. We are the body of Christ. So where are they going to look to see what Christ looks like? The body. The church. And you obviously see they're not coming here. They're not walking in, the door, in these doors and saying, all right, I want to see what Jesus looks like. They're looking at you 8 to 5, Monday through Friday. They're looking at you when you go to Walmart. They're looking at us when we go to sports events. They're looking at us when we're in the restaurant and how we react when a waiter may be giving us a hard time. They're looking at us when we get a customer at our jobs that may be pushing our buttons and that you're just ready to draw the line. They're looking at our love. They're looking at our joy. They're looking at our peace. Are we worried all the time and anxious all the time or are we peaceful? They're looking at our self-control. Are we able to hold back, hold our tongue? They're looking at our faithfulness. Are we showing up on time to our jobs? Are we doing our jobs right? Are we trying to cut corners? These are the things they're looking at. They're not looking to see if you can lay hands on them and, and get them healed. That's not what they're looking for. They're not looking to see if you can cast the demon out of, out of the guy down the hall. <laughs> Right? They're looking at our conduct. They're looking at our character. Jesus is coming back for a church. Period. He's coming back. The question is, will we be that church? Will we be his church? Will we be the holy, spotless church? Bearing good fruit and glorifying the Father in the earth. Amen? Hallelujah. All right. Father, we thank you this evening.